We're thankful for your presence this evening. For any visitors that may be in our midst, we're glad that you're here. And we're looking forward to a few moments of study together. If you've got your Bible, you can be opening to the book of Colossians and chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And we will begin with our lesson for this evening. When we think about uh, the lesson, the series that we've been going over for the last few uh, months or so, really overall, we've been talking about a, a series of lessons that would deal with the idea that there are not only people in the world and certainly people in movies, but uh, even people in the Bible maybe who are lost in the credits. The encouragement being, of course, for us that that's a possibility for even us as we sometimes feel like we are just a nobody or that we're not having an impact or or making an impact on anyone or anything. And so we have been through a series of lessons. We've talked about some Old Testament characters. We've talked about some New Testament characters. And it's been a little bit of everything. And what we're going to do is uh, actually finish up this series next month because it will go along with our theme for the month of February. Uh, but at the same time, I want us to take a look at our lesson for this evening. Heath, I'm not having any luck. I don't know if you want to maybe try to unplug that thing and plug it back in. But what we're going to do is take a look at this lesson this evening. And if you see, if you have your bulletin in front of you and you notice, there are 10 different slides or 10 different points, if you will, as we want to take a look at Colossians chapter 4 this evening. Some of you may recall that there was a movie several years ago, 1957 to be exact. It was an Oscar award winning movie. Went by the name of The Bridge on the River Kwai. And so maybe you've seen that movie, maybe you've not. But it was about the construction of the Burma Railway that took place in 1942, 1943 in World War II. It, uh, this movie kind of depicted, of course, with poetic license, uh, what took place there as this train, this, this railway, excuse me, was built from Thailand to Burma to try to further the Japanese cause as they were fighting on that Burma front during World War II. And of course, the movie depicts that bridge or part of that bridge being blown up. But there is or was a real story behind that. I mean, it's a little different than the movie, but there was a whole lot of people who were included or involved in this historical occasion. This was a 250 mile, roughly mile railway that was constructed. And there were a lot of people who were used, if you will, in regard to making that railway possible. In fact, if you go over now, there is 7,000 different POWs who are buried, and there are no Americans there because the Americans were, were shipped back, their bodies were brought home to the United States. But, but we could even say there are a lot of folks who did not get any credit or very little credit when it came to constructing this railway, this Burma, some people call it the Burma Railway of Death because of what it took to get it complete and to get it accomplished. And there are a lot of people who were involved, including the name, and, and there are a lot of other uh, folks, other countries that are listed who, whose bodies, uh, soldiers were here found in this cemetery, even to the day as we think about those who were a part of this. And so whether it's the movies... And of course, that's the idea of being lost in the credits or something like this construction of this railway. There are a lot of people many times who don't get credit for something that they participated in. Now, of course, the Burma Railway and the POWs, that's a little different than a movie. But what we, the point that we've made all along through this series is that many times there are ordinary people, and of course, as we drive the point home from the Bible, who are made extraordinary by God. 
And when we look around us and we think about those who are famous, when we think about all the names in the Bible, but specifically even of Hebrews chapter 11, there are a lot of so-called ordinary people. Tonight we want to talk about a hall of fame, if you will, but a hall of fame for the less famous We might even go around the room and name all of Hebrews chapter 11 if we were to go around because everybody knows those folks who are listed there. But there is a hall of fame of sorts that we're going to look at tonight for the less famous. Ten less familiar names of some folks who are mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. When we think about this idea, we think about that really there are a lot of people who have little notoriety who are doing a lot of the work. A vast majority of Christians quietly fill very important roles. I mean, think about it. We had a a moment just a moment ago where we're trying to find who's going to lead the opening prayer and who's going to lead the closing prayer because somebody's sick or somebody's not here. Most people walk in the building and find a spot in the pew and don't ever cross their mind who's leading in any particular fashion. And that's fine. It's the way it works. You don't have to worry about that. But there are a lot of folks who do anything from figuring out who's leading in worship to who's teaching class to who's cleaning this to who's putting this together. And lots of people get it done, again, without their name having any attention, with very little fanfare. When we think about the facts of the case, the facts of the case as presented in the Bible are several different passages. Some in Romans chapter 12, including verse 6, where we see that, that we have gifts that are differing. That nobody's necessarily better or worse, but we all have different things that we are good at, different things that we can accomplish. The admonition in verse 3 is that a person should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know, it's kind of like, well, the big toe can't say to the ear, well, I'm not the ear, I'm just the big toe. No, the entire body is needed to accomplish the goal. And we work together to that end. Whether you are the person who gets to stand in the pulpit one Sunday a month or every Sunday a month, or whether you're the person who does any other of number of things, a number of things that it takes to get work done in this congregation and among these people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about those who sometimes have the inferiority complex and those who sometimes have the superiority complex. And the point is, it takes every part of the body to get it done. The ear, the eye, the big toe. It takes it all to get it accomplished. And whether you are the person whose name is on the sign or on the bulletin or nobody even knows you when they walk in the door, we all have different roles to fill. And we see that in the Bible, including Colossians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, Colossians chapter 4, we've got several names to get through, so we'll jump into it. If you have your bulletin in front of you, we're going to start on the top left-hand side and work down and then go over to the right-hand column and work down. First of all, tonight, I'll probably butcher these and say them five different ways, but Tychicus. In verse number 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now, this is not the only place that we read about this particular brother. He is mentioned actually five times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 4, he's mentioned as being a part of Paul's missionary journey. You see another example in Ephesians chapter 6, which is kind of a parallel passage, if you will, to Ephesians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 4, where he's a, a messenger, a newsman, if you will. He's taking the news of Paul, as of course Paul is in prison. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, it says, deliver this letter. 
And then in Titus chapter 3, he's actually mentioned, along with Artemis, as a possible replacement for Titus while Titus is at Crete. So again, unknown name, unsung hero of the Bible. Maybe you had never heard that name before. Maybe you'd skipped right over Colossians chapter 4 in the very end. But this brother here is playing an important role. It says a lot about him because obviously Paul had a lot of confidence in him. Again, we think about good things that are said about us. Paul obviously had some confidence in what he was doing. Notice how he addresses him. He says, beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus was obviously doing something right and being at work, being at service because Paul was recognizing that. But not only was he faithful to Paul, but certainly he would be faithful to Christ, working to do good things, to spread the gospel. And it's essentially, or maybe especially in this case, to take the news of Paul and what Paul was going through and what Paul wanted other people to know as he was going along on this journey. And of course, at the end of verse number eight, he says, comfort your hearts. He was providing the encouragement that the saints of Colossae were in dire need of. They were looking for someone to follow. And he's going to comfort their hearts. A lot of times in our life, we follow something. It can be something that's good or it can be something that is bad. But we will follow something. Verse number 9, we meet Onesimus. Now, you may know Onesimus from the book of Philemon, but Onesimus was a runaway slave as we read that story further. Many people say, wait a minute, hold up. We're talking about slavery in the Bible? Yes, we're talking about slavery because at that time it was a part of the culture and it was, it's not Christian, but it was discussed and it was a part of things that were going on. But he had been a runaway slave. His name actually meant useful, but because he had run away, he had become useless to his master Philemon. And what's interesting, of course, is, is he was guilty of defrauding his master in this case. And so Onesimus is is known by us because of the book of Philemon. But Onesimus was addressed here in verse number 9 as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now there's a couple of things there. He might have been from Colossae. It's possible by saying that he is one of you as he writes this letter. It's possible as well he's referring to him being a Christian. As he uh, it says here, he was a Christian and a beloved brother. But Onesimus is one of you. It's interesting because Onesimus was useful. Then he was useless. But now he's going to become really useful because his purpose is going to go beyond the slavery, the name that he was going to wear. And of course, that's because as we think about it and as Paul shares and the the gospel shares and the, the Bible shares, the gospel transformed. It can take someone who is a slave or was a slave, someone who may have been guilty of defrauding and turn them into someone who is useful. And of course, the cross Unites, Even as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, that Jew and Gentile are one. It's the power of the gospel and the power of the cross that can take something like slavery, even in the New Testament there, and cause it to be something that can be encouraging, even as Paul is writing this letter. Number three, Aristarchus, in verse number 10. He is enlisted here in verse number 10 as a faithful companion of Paul 
who was willing to expose himself to peril and dangers for the sake of accompanying Paul to Rome. And that's actually, as he is mentioned in Acts chapter 19, he is detained and he is questioned about Paul. Now, you know, we have our most wanted list, even in our country today. Paul's going to be top there. He's going to be number one. The person most sought after, probably or possibly, by the government. And here, this Aristarchus is questioned. He's detained and pulled aside and asked about Paul. And so, he, even though he is a faithful companion, he's going to have to put himself in a little bit of danger. Notice there in verse number 10 of Colossians chapter 4, he's listed as my fellow prisoner who saluteth you. When we think about what these folks were going through, it's you know so much more obviously than what we have to face. Even today, it's serious business that we're talking about that they were going to be going through. And when we think about what the cause is, why would they be willing to go through that? It's because the cause demands that those who are staying focused on the kingdom, regardless of the circumstances, go through all of this. You know, I mean, especially here in the South, we understand from football when we say fair weather fan. You know, you leave your team when they're doing bad and you're back to them when they're doing good. It's, it's not that way when it comes to the cause of Christ being faithful to God. These different people who are listed here, it demands that they were going to be there in the good times and in the bad. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Mourning in the times of trouble. The cause demanded that, that they stay focused even in this difficulty. Even in the idea of being regarded as a fellow prisoner. Being wanted by the government. Detained. Questioned because of what they were wanting to do and willing to do. But we see that throughout this list. Throughout those who would be faithful companions of Paul. We know in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather kill, or excuse me, rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We may go through things in this life. Probably not going to go through what Paul went through in the same way, but we may go through things. But we can take comfort knowing the cause for which we're fighting. And we can look at even faithful people like are listed here, even those that maybe we've not thought a lot about because we don't know much about them. And we can be encouraged because Paul was encouraged by them. Verse number 10 as well, we see Mark. And you know Mark. Mark was list, is listed because there was a little bit of a problem with Mark. Paul and Barnabas, who was Mark's cousin, of course, disagreed. We read about that in Acts chapter 13. Because essentially, and this may be a little unfair, but sometimes he's characterized this way, but, but Mark might have been considered a dropout. We know in Acts chapter 13 that he was going to leave, and that caused a problem. Was Paul right? Was Barnabas right? I think the answer is yes. You know, I don't know. Uh, either way, we don't get the full story. But this passage indicates, as we read here in Colossians chapter 4, that at this writing, that Mark was already restored to Paul. Because of this idea, the way that he's referenced as uh, if he comes to you, welcome him there in verse number 10. So obviously there's been the turnaround that we see later when Paul recognizes that Mark can do good things. There may have been an issue at one time, but they're able to work through it. And of course, the lesson that we can learn from Mark here is, is keep getting up. I mean, maybe we make a mistake. Maybe we walk away from something that's a good work. Maybe we leave something that's something that's good. But even when we feel knocked down, we need to keep getting up. We can still be useful. 
Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. The righteous man falls seven times and yet he gets back up every time. Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. We can learn the lesson from Mark that, yes, maybe we are part of something that's a little bit of friction, that's a little difficult to get through, but there can be encouragement from that. And we need to continue, keep getting up time and time again. Number next, Jesus, who is called justice. In verse number 11, we read, and Jesus, who is called justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, as we meet this Jesus who is called justice, uh, excuse me, it starts working very well all of a sudden. Here, we're going through everything. Justice, it's possible, and we may be making a little bit of an assumption here, a little bit of guess, but it's possible that justice here was willing to set aside his identity for the sake of the gospel. Think about it. What name would you want to have or maybe not want to have because of the notoriety you're going to get with it? All right. If you're a person named Donald Trump right now, for better or for worse, everybody's going to kind of look at you and smile or laugh or whatever, throw stuff at you when they hear your name's Donald Trump. Take, a, take the list and go through anybody through history. But what if your name here was Jesus? Now, again, it doesn't say exactly, but it's possible that he would go and switch to justice to avoid confusion with the Jesus that he was proclaiming. Paul here calls and says, along with those who are listed before him, that they are fellow workers who are of the circumcision. So he left his own people. He left the Jews in order to spread the gospel among those in Rome. And so he has this name change, if you will, that's possibly... Because of what his name originally was, and it's Jesus who he was proclaiming. Justice grounded his identity in Jesus Christ. He wasn't first and foremost a Jew, but at the same time, he, he said, it's not so stuck that I couldn't change my name, that I could give the praise to Jesus. Yeah, of course, the application we might make to us is, is what about our identity? I mean, you know, we don't have to change our name necessarily, but what about our identity? What defines us? Is it your name? You know, Danley, that, that defines me? Is it a Tennessean? Is it a Southerner? Is it a Republican? Is it what other name could we wear that defines us? Or is it a Christian? Is Christianity our first identity that we would go by? If someone were to think, you know, when I think about you or whoever it is, what do I think about then? Again, we may not know with 100% assurity, but it would seem like this Jesus who was called Justice was willing to set aside maybe even his own name so that he could share about the Jesus who was the true Jesus, the true Son of God, who could do so many wonderful and mighty things as he had done and was being shared around the world at this time. Number five, Epaphras. In verse number 12, we read about this particular man here, who again, Paul says, who is one of you, possibly a native of Colossae, possibly as well referring to him as a Christian, but he sends greetings to his home church or his home congregation, if you will. And it's possible, again, a little bit of a guesswork maybe, but it's possible that he was instrumental in its establishment. He, he, he's well known, he's traveling around as well, but it's possible that he was 
instrumental in establishing this particular church or congregation. And then what I think maybe is possibly the most encouraging thing we can take from this particular person is, as Paul says there in verse number 12, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. You know, we we say a lot, well, I'll pray for you, you know, or I'll pray about that. But do we ever really follow through with it? Of course, we're the only ones that know that. But are we laboring fervently in prayer? Again, what a great title or name or identity to wear that we are fervent in prayer and fervent in prayer for those around us. Not only of this congregation, but of our sick, of those that we come in contact with. I think we see a good example here of the kind of characteristic that we could take on. Laboring fervently in prayer. Uh, Number six, I believe. We're looking at Luke. Now, Paul refers to Luke here in verse number 14 as the beloved physician. Let me ask you this. What person over the course of time might have needed a doctor nearby more than the Apostle Paul? Right? I mean, how many beatings did he take? How many lashings did he take? How many times was he stoned? And how helpful would it have been to have a beloved physician around? And, of course, for Paul to have Luke. When we think about Luke, Luke didn't use his own abilities merely for his own gain. Uh, That's not to say that maybe he had a time where he did do that or maybe he still did it on the side. But it would seem that even though he was a beloved physician, he gave those gifts to God in a sense. And when we talk about this idea of being lost in the credits, you may say, wait a minute, Luke? Luke who wrote two of of the books of the New Testament? Luke who wrote these things that we can still look at and read today? Well, yeah, what else did he do? We can learn from Luke that, that many times our vocation in life, and as I look around this room at all of you who I have learned over the last few months do any number of things or have done any number of things, who are not a, a full-time preacher, somebody who, who you know, is paid to study and to teach and do these things, but somebody who goes into manufacturing or goes into the hospital or goes into the workplace. I look around and I think about all the opportunities that we have that you have, us as a congregation, to remind people that, that it's not separated. Our Christianity is not something that we set on the shelf and we go about our week and we come back to it on Saturday night or Sunday morning, but it's a part of our life. Luke showed that our vocations are not separate from our spiritual life. It's a part of who we are. Continuing on, we read about Demas in verse number 14. Mentioned here in 14 as well as in Philemon verse number 24, as a fellow fellow laborer, Demas is somebody that, again, you may know the name. By 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10, Demas had forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. He forsook the apostle and betook himself to Thessalonica. Now, in this case of being lost in the credits, he may not be in the Hall of Fame of the faithful or the Hall of Fame of those that we need to look at, but I would submit to you tonight that that Demas serves as a warning, having loved this present world. In our class this morning here in adult class run number one, we were talking about the fact that, that when we are considering sin, it's as simple sometimes as who or what do we love more? Do we love God more or most or do we love whatever it is that's getting in our way? Demas loved the present world enough that he left behind what he had known. Here in verse number 14, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. But we see later from the warning and from what we know as we have the Bible for us that Demas wasn't going to stay 
that way. And that's a warning for us as we think about our life. Verse number 15, we meet Nymphus, who would have been a, a Christian resident in Laodicea. Notice it says there, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. It's apparent that he might have been a person of worth, a, a person of importance in the church of Laodicea because he had permitted the use of his house, his dwelling for the weekly meetings of the church. As we read on the pages of the New Testament, we see that a lot. That, of course, they didn't have big fancy church buildings or places that they could go, but they're meeting in houses. They're meeting in that type of, of setting. But obviously, he has a spirit of generosity and hospitality. That is known about him. He is a person that could be called on to host probably not only the services of the church, the gathering to worship together, but probably anybody and anything that might need somewhere to meet or somewhere to go. Again, what would we be recognized for? If Paul saw our lives, would it be for being generous? Would it be for being hospitable? Would it be for giving the cold shoulder to people? Would it be for being loving? What would it be? These folks here, even though we have just a short mention of them here in Colossians chapter 4, they're making an impact enough that Paul is going to mention them. Uh, here we have in verse number 17, Archippus, who is mentioned also again. Some of these folks are mentioned multiple times, but in Philemon uh, verse number 2 as a fellow soldier. And in verse number 17 of Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, and say... Take, tell him, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Again, that's in Colossians chapter 4. It would seem here that Paul is sort of giving a personal challenge, if you will. He's giving a bit of a challenge to keep on keeping on. It would appear or it would seem from the reading that he had a job to do. He had something that he had been given to do and maybe he hadn't gotten around to it yet. Sounds like a lot of us sometimes. Something that we know needs to be done. A person that we know we need to talk to. We just kind of keep pushing it off. He had a job to do and he hadn't fulfilled it yet. And Paul tells him, when you, or tells the folks here, when you see him, you need to tell him to fulfill it. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Keep on keeping on. Keep pushing through everything. Again, I look out at the room and I see so many different people of different ages and different stages of life. And, and we could go around and ask examples of times when we're on the mountaintop and things are good. Times when we're in the valley and things are bad. But whether it's good or bad, we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep pushing. We need to keep going. Even in the struggles as many of these folks here were facing. That's very quick look at those 10 folks who are listed there. But as we kind of bring these thoughts to a close tonight, is there a common thread as we think about this? Is it possible that these unsung heroes that, again, maybe you've never even heard their name, were, were focused on something? That they kind of had something that we could look at them and say, we can recognize this. Maybe it's the fact that most of them in some form or fashion, we're making sure that people were looking at Jesus. Even as we said this morning, it's all about God. Looking and saying, 
It's about Jesus. It's not about me. These folks are not singing their own praises. They're not saying, look at what I can do. They're pointing the way toward Jesus Christ. When our most passionate desire is that Jesus Christ be glorified, Jesus Christ be praised, then we can be an unseen hero, unsung hero. We see it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It's, this is all based on that principle of being the salt and the light. I mean, we know that passage. We've heard it hundreds of times, if not thousands of times in our life. But are we really practicing it? Are we making sure every day that we are promoting Jesus Christ, that we are promoting God? Or are we interested in what we can do? Are we wanting others to see our good deeds? Remember in Matthew chapter 5 there, Jesus says, so that people can see your good deeds, but that they can glorify the Father. When we think about these unsung heroes, these people who are lost in the credits, they're mentioned, but not much is known about them. But they're mentioned because they are pointing towards Christ, fellow laborer, fellow prisoner, worker, all of these things that they are doing, they're making an impact. And there's a good chance they didn't know. You know, they probably, there's no way they probably knew that Paul was going to write about them. But yet they were just doing what they knew they needed to do to promote the cause of Christ. Is that, is, is that can, what can be said about us? As you leave tonight, and as we conclude this lesson, that, that's what we have to ask ourselves. It cannot begin, of course, unless we have been gospel obedient. We have obeyed the simple plan of salvation. We put this slide up on the screen a lot, but it's supposed to be a reminder to us and to anyone else who is here of what it takes to become a Christian. I mean, that, that is part of the goal. It's, it's not just to baptize as many people as we can. We just don't want a, a bunch of wet people walking around who never come back. It's to make disciples, people who will be faithful, Christians who will follow after God. When the Lord adds us to his church, we begin to live faithfully. And when we wander away, God has made his second law of pardon available that we can come back to him. And we can be thankful for that even this evening. Maybe you're here and you're not a child of God. You've never been added to the church. Never had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. We would gladly study with you as soon as possible this evening, this week, if you want to know more. Because it's that important of a decision. Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that. But you recognize there's fault in your life, there's sin that separates you from God. Again, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to repent of that, to confess it, and to pray for forgiveness that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. We're about to sing this song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? There's no reason to delay. Don't wait for another time. Don't think I'm going to be better or or I'm going to get more attention or I can do more. Begin right now, this evening, being faithful by either becoming a Christian or coming back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. It's for all those reasons we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.